Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Welcome. We're glad to be with you this evening. Uh, sorry about last week's interruption. We're glad to be back live with you. And uh, thank you all for praying for our friend Mike last week. And he is doing much better. So praise the Lord. We're glad. Uh, we're just going to continue our teaching tonight in biblical church. We're uh, winding this thing down. We're, we're getting to the last chapters. And tonight, just a little short recap on what we've been through. You know, the first few chapters of this book deal with how we got to where we are today. We dealt with uh, going through the early church's history about how the church went from an apostolic house church gathering to a shifting 300 years later into the Constantine-Augustine era of where we are, how we got traditional teachings right now and, and traditional church structures and why we do the things we do right now. And that they're so uh, non-biblical according to our New Testaments, we, we have to ask at some point, why do we do what we do? And so uh, we've gone through all that. Then we got into the the nuts and bolts of how the New Testament operated. We dealt with the four pillars of the early church. We dealt with uh, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, that conjunction there. We brought those two things together. That fellowship was on an equal par with doctrine. It's just important to... We have to be able to live out what we believe with other believers. So apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It's one thing to say you believe this and that's really part of the Augustinian error. It moved from uh, the people of the way to the people who say. We literally moved from uh, a lifestyle of this to just being able to quote a creed. And, and that's just not what the Bible intends. So being able to walk out what we believe in fellowship with one another is very vital to our Christian life and our Christian walk. And so the, the, uh, we dealt with apostles, doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread. We dealt with the real communion aspect of what we do on our, in our house churches when we gather and that we share a meal together. And there's something about sharing that meal together that begins to share life together and it, and it expands and it causes us to, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're, 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 we're visiting each other. We're going out as couples or meeting from restaurants. We, we go to each other's house. We become friends. And oh, isn't that great? Isn't that refreshing? We, the, the, the church that by this shall all men know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And we taught uh, about the fourth dynamic of the early church was prayer. Jesus said, my father's house will be called it a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. And literally to bring the focus back, you see, in a house church, literally, if nothing else is done, we could pray. And uh, and you say, well, the, you, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, all we can do is pray. Well, what do you mean? That's everything we can do is pray. And I see an anointing to pray in this hour. It's been fantastic for us on this end. Uh, just teaching this, I believe it really quickened all of us that are listening right here and that are going back through. We've taught on this for years, and uh, it just stirred us even more to to pray a, a Man, we can pray right now. I just love it. So it's Apostles Doctrine, fellowship, uh, fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayer, the four dynamics. 
Last week, or the last time we were together, we taught on the uh, evangelism and church planning aspect of the early church. And we taught on how Jesus taught his disciples to go into an oikos, a house or a household, a circle of friends, and deal with that, find the person of peace and bring that person to Christ through discipleship, relational discipleship, and then begin to see a chain of conversion start among his circle. Don't bring them to church. Go make the church go to them and start a church in that house. So I believe we see uh, the New Testament pattern being established of how Jesus taught his people, his disciples. And I really believe this is why it moves so seamlessly when the Holy Ghost filled those believers in the book of Acts. The promise of the Father came to those disciples, that 120 waiting souls. They received the Holy Ghost. Peter preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And uh, somewhere around 3,000 believers came in that day. And immediately they were going house to house. And they were still in the temple in those days until Acts chapter 8. God had to break that. Glory to God. I believe believe the persecution of the early church was a judgment of, of not going to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, just staying in Jerusalem. He broke that temple thing up. As a matter of fact, God destroyed the temple in 70 AD and it's never been rebuilt. That ought to tell you all we need to know. There was one temple that was approved by God. It was destroyed in 70 AD and it's never come back. So let's don't build another one. We are the temple of the living God and the Holy Ghost wants to fill every person who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And when we bow our knee to his lordship at his throne, then the river of the Holy Ghost pours into us and out of our belly goes rivers of living water. And we're powerful witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, go therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So now we're in the great commission. And look, if we don't fulfill that, who will? God wants his people to take this word everywhere and take this great commission. So when we look at the mission aspect of the early church and how all the nuts and bolts of everything we've taught, how it applies, I want to break that down to you tonight and show you what I believe the New Testament mission is all about in our hour. So if you would turn in your either your little white book there or in your Bibles, um, we have the, the passage that I'm going to use right here in the, in the little white book, Biblical Church. If you don't have Biblical Church, you can go on our Oikos Ministries, uh, or excuse me, House Churches USA, um, www.housechurchesusa.com, and go in there, and in the book section, you can literally click on and read it online. So here it is. We're on page 142, Paul's Method of Mission. Now, I know a lot of people don't like to hear methodology and that type of thing. But I want to tell you, I believe there was a method to their madness. I I don't. Paul said, I do not fight as one who beats the air. There's a great old sermon by John Wesley about beating the air. And, you know, the old windmilling of beating the air or the or the idea of shadow boxing. He was not fighting an invisible opponent. He knew exactly what he was doing. He, he kept his body under subjection and moved with purpose on everything he did. And I love the book of Titus for this particular teaching in chapter one, 
verses 4 through 9. Let's read it together. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And we're going to leave it right there. I'm not going to go into the other details till a little later. I want you to notice that he said the first thing I think is outstanding here. He says to Titus, a true son in the faith. Notice the relationship between Paul and Titus. He also had this relationship with Timothy and whether he had it with others, we don't know. But I, I can tell you, he specifically pointed out that he had a father son type relationship with them. Now, I want to tell you something interesting. If you go back into the old covenant, you're only going to read the English translation disciple one time in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Isaiah chapter eight. I think, let me see. I think I wrote it down here. Uh, 16, 8, 16. And, uh, it, it says, it uses the words disciples and it's pointing to the coming of Messiah. It's only used one time. But I think it's interesting to note on this, that Paul and Timothy or Titus here has a have a uh, a a father son relationship. Something was spiritually birthed in that young man through Paul's ministry. And there was a connection made. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the personal life of Titus, but we see that this insight and when I can glean any type of insight, to something this important, I, I want to latch on. There's a verse in Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Covenant, the last book, last chapter, fifth and sixth verses uh, in the book of Malachi. And he said, I'm going to send to you the prophet Elijah. Now he's prophesying of a New Testament thing. Now remember, there's a 400 year span between Malachi and the, Matthew when we read our Bibles uh, the Old Covenant ends in Malachi. The New Testament starts with Matthew. And there's a 400-year gap between there. And he's prophesying that he would send Elijah the prophet and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and he would turn the son, hearts of the sons to the fathers unless he would come and smite the earth with a curse. So the turning of hearts, I think it's very interesting that when Elijah had the great contest on Mount Carmel, that when he finally called out to God, he said, God, show that you have turned this people's heart back to you. The turning of hearts was part of the, the miraculous ministry of the prophet Elijah. Now we know as we fast forward into the new covenant that John the Baptist had this spirit of Elijah. Jesus said, if you receive it, this was Elijah who was to come. Now, I've said all that to say this, Elijah, I mean, John the Baptist is the first guy in the New Testament who was doing what? Making disciples. And guess who else picked up this practice? Jesus began to make disciples. Now, let me go back to Elijah. When Elijah finished the contest on Mount Carmel, uh, the the the. Uh, Ahab's wife Jezebel put a contract out on Elijah's life, said, We're go I'm going to kill Elijah. And he ran from her. He fled. He ran away from her. It's an interesting story. And Elijah finally was cornered by God and God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He had run into the wilderness. He said, Lord, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm all you got left. 
He said, I'm the only one and they're trying to kill me. And God told him, said, Elijah, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Remember this, whoever's out there listening, you're not the only one. I promise you, God has other men and women he's raising up in this hour. You ain't, you're not expendable. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, there are more. God is preparing so many right now for these last days ministry. Uh, I believe there are many in the wilderness who've been, and some of you said, why won't God let me have a voice? I'm telling you, listen to me tonight. I'm telling you, God is fixing to make your voice to be heard on high. There are the true men of God who are in the secret place being prepared. Man, he don't want you to talk too early. He don't want you to talk too late. But when you start talking, I tell you, the stage is set for some really powerful national prophets and voices, and they're coming. I'm not talking about the old silly charismatic goofballs. I'm talking about men of God who will make politicians tremble when they start talking. Hallelujah. Now, back to Elijah. God cornered old Elijah and he here come an earthquake and there come a powerful wind and here come a fire and God wasn't in any of those things. And all of a sudden the still small voice came and Elijah wrapped his head in a mantle. That's what preachers do. We, we cover ourselves in our mantle and hid whenever we know we've been rebuked by God. We, but we want everybody else to look like we still got it. He wrapped his face in the mantle and God said, I want you to do these three things, Elijah. I want you to go and anoint Hazael is king over Syria. I want you to go and anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And then I want you to go and anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. Now, folks, I think that's one of the most important transitions in the old covenant. He went from a national one man show, a one man revival, no friends, no relationships. People knew him because he was powerful in miracles, but he was a loner. And now all of a sudden, God said, I got one job for you. Go join yourself to Elisha and he's going to be anointed as prophet in your place. And the rest of Elijah's days were spent. Can you imagine the time that Elijah and Elisha walked together? Could you be, man, who could hang around with this man? Could you imagine the times in prayer. Could you imagine as this man showed Elisha how to pray and how to reach the heart of God? Could you imagine as he taught God's word and revelation and how to hear the voice of God? Could you imagine the time, the eons of time they spent together? Oh, it just irks me down to the very core of my being when some silly charismatic guy stands in the line, double pushing, double pushing, double pushing, double pushing. It's a mockery to the ministry of Elijah. To give something you ain't got first off. And secondly, to think it can be transferred by you tapping heads. This man poured his life into Elisha. He gave everything he had into this other man. He said, oh, you're going to take my place. You know what preachers do when they find out somebody could take their place? They run them off. They don't want the competition. We're going to send you on the mission field. They act like they're holy. What they are is they're afraid you got more anointing than them. <coughs> don't tell me no. I'll tell you right now. I can testify right now. I've heard, I've heard preachers say it right now. He said, you know, we just got rid of them. Send them on the mission field. Elijah poured his heart into Elisha. And the day that Elijah was taken up, 
The chariots of fire came down to meet Elijah. And Elisha cried out, my father, my father. Go look it up. Go read the story. I believe it's one of the most powerful things. Where God transferred the whole spirit of Elijah into Elisha. And he had the double portion. As a matter of fact, you'll look it up. Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah. Now, I said all this for a reason. The New Testament began to give us the idea of disciples. Now, we're not talking about let's go sit in rows, get in our little class here and let me put it on the board and we're going to have a little, I'm going to teach you pupil, teacher to pupil kind of cognitive transference of academia. Folks, that ain't what, that ain't what discipleship is about. Yeah, there's some important transference of academia. There are some knowledge transfers, but let me tell you something. The spirit, the exchange of hearts, the, the building of relationships, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have any inkling of an idea that you would like to be involved in house church, you've got to understand something. You better know for a fact. You say, you, look, lots of people say, I love God. And then when you get, I would really be a great Christian if there weren't these people that I have to deal with. We don't love people. The only proof that you'll ever have that you love God is if you love people. And let me tell you something. People can test you more than any demon alive. They will test you. And you're going to see whether or not you love Jesus. Because it's so easy to have a choreographed service. And we're going to get all the singers professionally trained. And man, we're going to have this thing down to the minute. And there's going to be this orchestrated appearance of spontaneity, but it ain't. Hurry, we got to have them out by lunch. And there'll be an eloquent delivery of a nice message. Everybody goes home and nobody knows each other. And then you go real, live how you really are. That's traditional church. You see, in the disciple making work, we connect with one another and begin to share lives. We share heart. And the exchange of information isn't done. Well, there's some cognitive, but let me tell you something, man. It's done in a personal exchange. And something holy gets birthed in these discipleship exchanges. In the dialogue between the two. Not only is there teaching, there are questions. There are discussions. And it reaches down into the depth and it sticks. It reaches the effective domain of learning, which is way different from cognitive or psychomotor. This gets down into the heart exchange where people will really change their values. It's powerful teaching. So I'm going in all this to tell you the disciple making work. Paul made a son called Titus. How would you like to hang around Paul? Don't don't hurry that question. Let, what you need to do is get somebody to take take a real good stick. All right. And say, OK, all right, I'm ready. Go ahead. Hit me on the back hard. Ow! When you get through being numb, say, now hit me again. Come on. I need to know if I really like to hang around. 
Because that's what would happen to you on a regular basis hanging around Paul. Wherever he went, he would get you hurt. Titus could hang with that. Whoo! I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe in my mind I think I like Paul, but I don't know. He's scary. Now, they built that father-son relationship. Now, here's the beauty. He put him in a place called Crete. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And it boasts about a hundred cities at the time that Titus was there. And he said, I left you in the island of Crete for this cause. Here's why I left you there. That you might set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every city as I appointed you. Now, these are some interesting things that give me insight. I'm talking about the mission of the New Testament church. Now, I'm, I'm zeroing in on Paul because it seems like this dude outran everybody going. I know the, tw- the, 11, the other 11 were with Jesus. Well, the other 12, Matthias stepped up and was appointed to fill Judas's office. But I mean, Paul's outrunning everybody. He's running circles around everybody in this mission work. He's going out to all nations and he's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's a powerful thing that had never been done before in that magnitude. And boy, he is lighting it up. And so Paul has these traveling companions. Luke was one of them. We wrote the book of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts. Uh, Timothy was one of them who it later became the bishop of, of Ephesus. We'll get back to that in just a little bit. But in particular, Titus, here he is in Crete. Now look, he's setting order. Let's talk about order. <clears throat> now order, when we look at this, we have the New Testament order of worship. I believe that, okay, if you were a nice Jew who grew up in Jewish synagogue, to shift your thinking into New Testament thinking, which was really the biggest battle of the early church. The Jews were really pulling hard. Uh, everybody got to act Jewish. Now, it's what's amazing. There's a resurgence of that right now at this moment. They're really pulling up. Yeah, you needed Sabbath too. And you need to do, uh, and, and God will be a little bit more happy with you if you do some of this law stuff. No, I'm telling you, let's get the pure stream of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that stream of grace is really the flow of the Holy Ghost into a person. And you cannot, you, you either get spirit filled or keep the law. Take your pick. You're not going to have both. Okay. Now, when we get to full of the Holy Ghost, Paul, so Paul has this thing with, with Titus and he said, set in order. If you can think about this, you talk about pagan, heathen people. All right. They were worshiping pantheism. They had pantheism. They were worshiping all kind of foolishness. And he brings them to Jesus. And you just think, boy, just, oh, wow, it just drives me. How do you start? What do you do to really set an order? And he taught them the New Testament way of doing things. I'll guarantee it. He brought in uh, apostles, doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. He brought those dynamics in. He showed them how to worship in the home. He showed them how to come together and have the flow of the Holy Spirit. He showed them how to uh, have prayer in the house and to break bread together and become relational and friends. He taught them evangelism. He taught them all this stuff. And so he would set 
that New Testament order. I find that's the work we have right now. Our New Testament mission right now is to retrieve people back from this traditional non-biblical structure that I believe is the last day's great Babylonian whore. The harlot church who rides on the beast. It's a worldly church. Go look this up, folks. I'm not making this thing up. And he says to the last day's people, come out of my people. I'm so encouraged. God has people in a religious system that he wants them out of. And hear me carefully tonight. God say, come out of her, my people. Oh, but I love my church. Listen to me. You're drunk on your tradition. Come out of there. Put your faith on trial with other believers and let's see if you can walk with them. Let's see just how much love you do have for the brethren. Oh, come on, man. I don't know if I've ever said it that clear as what you just heard. You need to hear it. Come on, help us, Holy Ghost, to hear it. God said, come out of her, my people. Do not be partakers of her sins, lest her plagues come upon you. This is a last day's thing. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there is just by attrition right now, multitudes falling out of the traditional churches. And then COVID accelerated that. I'm telling you, a lot of these churches are not going to recover. And I, I, I'm not sad. A lot of these buildings are going to go bankrupt. I'm not sad about that either. God's calling his people. He's, the river is turning, folks, and it's time. And there are multitudes out there. And I believe we are in the middle of a great apostasy right now. They're falling away from truth. That don't mean they necessarily left church, but they're falling away from truth. As a matter of fact, you listen to the average preacher preach today, and I don't think he has enough truth in him. to. Why is he even up on the pulpit? Preach the Bible, man. So, Come out of her, my people. I believe that our mission right now is setting apostolic order. Let's retrieve those lost sheep of the church. Let's put them back in the house church in the original biblical pattern. Let's set order. That's what I see the mission as right now to reset the order. Call these people back and set them in order. Look, man, I ain't trying to control you. Have a house church at your own house, man. Break bread together. Call your friends together. Let it look like Cornelius's place, man. Get your friends and family together. Break bread. Preach the gospel. Man, pray to one another and then come back next week. Or let's go to another house next week. Help yourself. If you don't know, if you say, I need a little help, call me. I'll come. We ready. Call me up. We'll show you how to do this thing. I ain't saying I'm joking. I was going to joke, but never mind. This is the fires on this thing. The mission, folks, set in order those things that are lacking. Some of these things in Crete were already in progress, and he was bringing them. He was more so correcting the existing error and fixing it, put it in right order. That's what he was saying to, to, to Titus. Set in order those things that are lacking. Now, here's the exciting part. And ordain elders in every city as I appointed you. Now, when we get to that aspect of ordaining elders in the city, 
Remember, Crete is an island, about 100 people, 100 cities, excuse me. And so Titus had a very defined, okay, there's an island, Mediterranean, 100 cities, go to each one of them, identify, equip, then ordain an elder. You got to figure them out. Who are the elders of the church? Very simple word there. The, 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 the. Now, here's what complicates this because our minds are in tradition. Let me just, let me just go after something right now. The word pastor is used one time in the New Testament. Once. It's the, pre, it's the prevalent gift of every traditional church. It seems like that's all we talk. Well, who's your pastor? Who's pastor over? We have a search committee trying to find us a pastor. That I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. That is horrible. A search committee to find a pastor? What's wrong with you people? Ain't there anybody in the church that ever grew up and can handle the people? Oh, y'all know. Let's go get a hireling. A professional, a slick one, one that we can control. Pastor, here's your duties. And if we don't like the way you do your duties, we hired you, we'll fire you. Welcome to Babylon. (laughs) Man, make your exit. Man, quit. Just quit. Say, you know what? I'm going to fire the whole church. I'm out. I'm going to break bread at my own house. There it is. I just said it right out there in front of God and everybody. I fire everybody. We ain't seen you in a few weeks. What we really ain't seen is your tithe money in a few weeks. Where are you being, brother? God needs you in here. We gone. Been there, done there. We need to make a t-shirt. Been there, done that. Got this shirt. Bye, Babylon. Pharaoh, build your own tomb. Now, look. When we get to this issue of pastor, all right? He said, or the presbyteros. It's the word elder is loaded up. Man, the Bible is full of the term elder. Okay? And we're going to get to some more of that in just a second. But let's do this. Let's get the pastoral map. You see, because what pastor means in traditional, if I say pastor in your mind, immediately you think of the dude in a suit or some kind of fish hat or a, uh, you know, garb behind the pulpit, slick, professional, uh, all that. And he's, he's the pastor. Ooh. Why? Where is it? Only through the through interpreting the Bible through the traditional mindset can we make this error. When we break and say, I'm done with the tradition and we move into the biblical pattern that these gifts even make sense. Elders. All right. This is going to be profound. What's an elder? Somebody who's older. Let that soak in. Look at this stuff. I just had this color put in my hair today. (laughs) 
It's a, oh, it's at least they're at least further. Paul told Timothy, son Timothy, he said, let no man despise your youth. Timothy was a younger man, but let me tell you what, he was advanced in age concerning his spirituality. He was a, he was full grown in the Holy Ghost. He was a man of God. And they have folks like that that are peculiar gifts to the body. And we recognize them. And let me tell you how we recognize them. We don't send out a select committee. Let's, we're going to start a committee up. We're going to get a pulpit committee together and let's go find a preacher. Let's call them. So we're going to go interview preacher. We're going to go out there. And we're going to listen. Preacher, we come here to try you out. Like when people tell me, well, I'm going to try you out first. I don't care if you like my preaching or not. <laughs> I really don't care. Look at that. Nobody in there cares. You understand when we try to go through this hireling process, we're in just a gross error. The Bible talks about it yet. How does everybody get their pastor? I guess some people are really not loving that out there right now. But hear me carefully. Maybe you need to just chew on it a minute. Now, once we settle this, that interpreting Scripture through the traditional mindset is a gross error. Once you break that tradition and begin to look at the Bible and say, how would this apply in a relational setting? Elders, look, when we start breaking bread together, do you understand there's a term in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? He said, he said, you discern the body. When you start eating with one another and really get to know people, say, wow, that person has the gift of prophecy. This person is an intercessor machine. What? This person is a servant. This person is a giver, a teacher. This person has great revelation. We recognize the body through breaking bread, relational, apostolic doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. This relational time spent together and the gifts begin to sift out. We just see them. We don't make a big deal out of it. That don't mean you're greater or better. Or... There's no distinction here of clergy laity. That's another lie from Satan that is literally a traditional issue. Clergy and laity. We're the clergy and you're the laity. What is that? Come on. We're the body of Christ, man. The same anointing that's on the head is the same anointing on the hymn. The top of Jesus' head to the bottom of his feet is all anointing. Amen? That anointing, when we quit respecting persons and start and quit celebrating some gifted one and understand what we need in our little body is the Holy Ghost. And we can only get the Holy Ghost under the Lordship of Christ. So as we yield to Christ, the Holy Ghost comes on us. And these gifts begin to manifest. Glory be to God.
Amen. Now, so the the elders, he said, Titus, what you need to do is ordain elders in every city as I've appointed you. Now, that don't look too impressive. So what if in every city he was finding, you know, he's planting two or three house churches and and, and he's breaking bread with them. And it takes a little time to do this. And and and, and all of a sudden, he said, man, this brother's got it together got a good family man he's got an he's able to teach here or or this brother is such a servant they just love people they're so hospitable they want everybody in their house they don't ever want them to go home come on come over and come eat with us i mean they're just so and and you start recognizing that he said brother i i want to i want to really work with you and make sure we get you discipled properly. I want to really test you out and we're going to ordain you as an elder and look that don't sound too impressive at first Two or three times in this city, go to another city. Two or three times in that city, go to the well, time you cover a hundred cities with that. You know what I'll tell you? You got something very impressive because every house church is doing the same thing. It's a beautiful thing. This is the evangelism. Church planning and mission. This is it. This is the mission. It turns global. And every person takes part. It's, it's the priesthood of every believer. Are there gifted ministers who are in the, what we call fivefold? Yes, they're there. There are teaching gifts in the body. Yeah. I'm one of them. I, I don't disdain that. We do that. You see, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John both call themselves elders. Let me show you this. Let's look at it just briefly. Uh, I'm on page uh, 144. I'm, in, I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. Peter speaking, saying, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to open, uh, excuse me, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now this is Peter setting the stage about the priesthood of every believer. I believe so firmly in this that every believer, read 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and following. Every believer can take part in the church service in the home. They can bring gifts. They can, they can bring revelation. They can teach. They can do all these things. Now, I want you to go a little further with me. Look at page 145, uh, 146. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder, look at there, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at that understanding. When we put this into the understanding, now remember Peter, the day that Jesus, well, not the day, but Jesus had come back. He, He was alive. He was with his disciples and they're at the Sea of Tiberias and they'd had that great miracle where they were, they, Jesus said, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. And they embraced that big draft of fish and they brought them in. Peter dove in the water, had come up there. Bible said he was naked. I don't know what that means, but he, he had to wrap his fisher's coat around him. And boy, he got to, he made a beeline to the, to the shore where he could speak and meet with Jesus. And they, they sat there and they broke bread together. He said, Simon, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Can he say it? Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, how many times I got to tell you? I love you. Feed my lambs. Three times he denied him. Three times he had to confirm it. Listen to me carefully. It was so instilled in Peter. Feed the flock. Feed them what? Feed them the words of Jesus. I'm telling you, folks, I've been spending a lot of time with you folks. Uh, and y'all, uh, I, We have a really good faithful following on Facebook and all the other things we're doing right now. I'm fixing to cut loose. I'm going to be done with this structural stuff. And we're going to talk about the new wine that goes into the wine skin. I want to talk about the word of God. I want to preach Jesus to you. Oh, I'm getting ready. Let's get a look because wine's going to move. Liquid conforms to the container. I'm trying to give you a good New Testament container. Get it in your house and then let the teachings of Christ get in there and move you. Hallelujah. We'll see Christ manifest in every house who listen. Glory be to God. Now, so look at that one, Peter. Feed my sheep. It was so instilled in him. Jesus wanted his disciples to feed the flock. Feed them. Care for them. Now, look, I don't have sheep and don't don't judge me, but I got a, a flock of goats. I got 30 goats at the house right now. 30 of them boys. Look, I got 17 little babies. You ain't never lived till in the morning. You walk out there among 17 little bitty two or three week old goats and watch them skipping in front of you. And they are so happy you there. They just love you so much. And I love them. And they as aggravating as you ever want to see. (laughs) They will test you. Carol, do you love me? (laughs) Feed them. (laughs) Okay. No, they'll try you out. You get all that nice bucket of food and right before you can pour it in, they knock it out your hand. (laughs) If you've not bought food lately, it ain't cheap. You just dumped it out, goat. Maybe that's why they go on the left hand. And go to hell. I don't know. But it sure is a life lesson for the Christian minister. 
you better love folks. When you start grooming the burrs out their hair, healing their hurts, when they start discovering their heart to you, and you got to groom that heart back to health, when you got to dry up them tears, fix them broken wings and legs and arms and everything else they got, when you got to put them on good ground, and they've been eating just garbage diets in the churches. When they've been around churches all their life and they ain't got enough word in them to, it's like, how have you ever survived, poor thing? You know, if you've not been moved by, by one of them little dog commercials on TV, no sad. We've got the rickets. I mean, you can count every rib. Why don't they put a skeleton on them commercials? It's like, it's horrible. The tearjerker commercial. Huh. If you don't give to the, I don't, I don't even know, whatever that society is that takes money up for lost pets and stuff. Feed the puppies. Feed them. Move on all your emotions. Look, the dog start. Where's my money? Give me some money. Give money to feed the dog. Look, there are people that, if you could see their souls, they're emaciated. They look like Holocaust victims. They're spiritually dried up. And, I mean, they're dying. Oh, if somebody just cared, feed the sheep. The elders who are among you, feed the flock. All you got to do is start looking around. Get your eyes off yourself. You know, John Wesley said the whole world is my parish. And I've learned this. When somebody starts pouring their problem out to me, you know what? I treat them just like they're part of my church. I don't care if they're a total stranger. Really? Let me pray for you. And when you invoke divinity on a total stranger, God, help this person. You say, what if they're a sinner? I don't really care. God helped me when I was his enemy. You too. Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Feed the sheep. Peter said, I'm an elder. You see, in the realm of the apostolic elder, it seems like there was no fixed geography. His eldership was honored anywhere he went. And it's pretty cool. And I've found some of that honor. And I love to write around Brother Chuck King. He's got that kind of, you go somewhere and people honor you. It's a, a prophet's not without honor except his own hometown. It's kind of, nobody honors you around hometown, just a few, but it's, it's not much. The fact is that it's, it's really embarrassing when they give you honor. It's like, ooh, I'm not, I'm so used to not getting it. It's like, whoa, stop, please don't do that. So hear me carefully. It seems to be a, 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 an apostolic type elder literally seems to be respect, accepted anywhere they go. No geographical boundaries. Then we come back to a guy like Titus, very pronounced area. Crete, very pronounced. It's a bishopric. Episcopo, a different word here. Uh, it was very defined geographically and it was called an overseer. And there was, if you really look into the, the depths of that word Episcopo and, and some of the offshoots of it, it almost seemed like a policeman. I mean, there was literally, uh, you really watch what people are doing so you could really keep an eye on what things are going on. And I can tell you in a flock, uh, especially in this generation. Look, everybody, just about every one of us have been coming. We have all been fed some kind of false doctrine somewhere. And you let that junk in your church, and I tell you right, it'll ruin you. Man, just keep it pure. Man, we got the Bible. Let's have the Word of God. Let's, uh, let's enjoy the fellowship around God's Word. Let's pray, and let's move on. But when somebody takes the Word, some Word, and goes off on that one particular issue, that's called heresy. 
Okay. Just one thing. And that's all we're going to drive on. Man, don't stop that. No, 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 no. We're going to take the whole counsel of God's word and bring it all in. It's a wonderful thing. Now, the bishopric, see, that's a secondly, see, there was an apostolic type elder. Then there came to a bishopric geographically defined in, in this case of Titus. Now, let's go to another case of a bishop, which was Timothy, who was the bishop over the city of Ephesus, a city elder. And literally, there were elders that worked with him in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, when Paul called, when he came to Ephesus on his way toward Rome, when he was, he was under arrest and they all came together and he said, this last time you're going to see me. All the elders gathered, they knelt down by the seashore and they were, were weeping and praying, but most of all weeping because they wouldn't see Paul anymore. But the, the city elders came back and some, I've heard some estimates that there were up to 50,000 believers in Ephesus. It was a great place of warfare. So we see that level. Then we see another <clears throat> level and realm of elder. Uh, when we, we get down to, we got, first we have apostolic. Then we have, when, when the word churches is used, plural or plurality there, the, the word churches, we would like the churches of Asia, the churches uh, it, it would be, a, they would use a plural sense, but when it came specific into a city like Ephesus, or then even lower to a, a church like the church that meets at Tom's house. It was singular at that point. Now I've wrestled with this in the book. I wrote this down and said that every house church needs an elder. I don't necessarily believe that in long, even when I wrote it in here, and I, I will retract that. I, I don't think you'd have to. As a matter of fact, uh, oversight or eldership could be provided and you don't have to be at that meeting. But relational contact has to be there. And we're seeing that all the time now. The fact is that it doesn't need a teaching elder or somebody just sitting there watching what's done. Uh, you see, part of the beauty of house church is not centered around who's going to preach what message. All right. Yep, messages get taught and preached. And if I show up, I'm going to preach and or give a word of some sort. I always have one ready. Uh, now, I'll tell you right now, if the Holy Ghost takes another way, I defer to the Holy Ghost every time. I'd rather him take off than me. Just have your way, Holy Ghost. That's what I want to see. And so when, when you know, that could happen anytime. And man, I want to be sensitive and let it happen. I don't want to get in the Lord's way. But the fact is the church ain't built on some charismatic leader. Amen. It's not built on a professional slick guy. It ain't there. What it is, is everyday folks who love Jesus. We've been born again and we built that commonality, that common union, the communion, that fellowship, same word, koinonia, communion, fellowship, koinonia. We built that relational uh, uh, adhesion that we've connected there uh, a bunch of strings tied in knots and we built a knot of relationship. And so we have this koinonia among ourselves. All right. And so by doing so, it doesn't matter. Look, that church could have a people of, uh, it could be a bunch of unsung heroes. You don't know any of them. They don't have a bunch of charisma, but let me tell you what, when they come together, there's this spirit of unity in them. They begin to pray. Well, they begin to read the Bible together. And guess what? The Holy Ghost, the same Holy Ghost that Professor Polish 
could have is on every one of these Laban. I'd rather hear them than a million slick tongues. I just think it's so pure when the Holy Ghost talks through somebody who's not eloquent. Come on, man. But if you're addicted to professional entertainment, you may have a hard time adjusting to this. Because you say, oh, the anointing was so good in church this morning. Oh, I just love that song. It was so anointed. Well, really? Was it an anointing or was it large group dynamics and a good song? It's a valid question. It's valid, very valid, because the same anointing in most of your big churches is the same anointing at the concert, at the football game. Woo! That was so good. Yes, it was good. Tell you what you do. Take your anointing. If you're that anointed with this, let me just tell you, you get in the house with about 10 people in it and put on one of them good old charismatic Holy Ghost hop songs and let me see how you dance. Well, everybody's watching. Yeah, we are. Well, I'm uncomfortable to Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just the large group dynamic. Maybe there's a proverb that said, don't run with the multitude. See, you'll do things in a big group you'd never do one-on-one. Hey, look, you get the Holy Ghost anointing. You want to dance? I don't care. Man, jump up and down, buddy. We'll fix the sheetrock later. (laughs) We have people for that. Man, turn loose. Bust a move. I don't care. But you see what happens is when you truly get in a smaller group, it's like, well, it's just not anointed. That's a dead church. Or maybe it ain't dead. Maybe your expectation was your tradition that you've been drinking from. Maybe it wasn't an anointing at all, if you really get down to it. <gasps> Terrible. We know that music's anointed. Well, maybe music's good, but you know what? Most music is soulish. How is it anointing when I ain't even preaching the word of God? I'm just, come on, y'all, don't, don't, don't turn that radio off out there. It's a sacred cow. We got to hear the professional singers and then have the professional sermon. And we had a professional program. We had everything was professional, slick as an onion. But I want to tell you something. The anointing breaks the yoke. If you were sick when you got there and sick when you leave, maybe there wasn't no anointing. If it ain't changing your life, if you're not being renewed and regenerated in the Holy Ghost, maybe there wasn't no anointed. Let me tell you what's anointed. The word of God is anointed. Christ is the anointing. And when we seek him, man, that's it, buddy. He said, we're two or three gathered together. Come on, man. We ran into a young lady just a while ago in a coffee shop and I felt a greater anointing there than 10,000 great singers. 
Matter of fact, y'all go sing somewhere else. You'd be, you'd be messing up my meeting right here. Just three of us sitting there. Oh, four, because the Holy Ghost came. Hallelujah. Come on, can you... Let's, let's talk about the real anointing there. And so we have these levels and layers of eldership. They're there and they're, they're proven people who've walked a little further than you have that help us along. And let's see what the beauty of house churches that we find the sons of peace who are teachable, who want to be taught. Let me, okay, I've been through all that tradition and look, you know what? I really didn't like it. Okay, let's start over and let's do what the Bible said. What a concept. Glory to God. John, Peter, they call themselves elders. He spoke about Titus and Timothy, bishops. And he told us to, he told us the qualification. As you really look at this and you start uh, visiting 1 Timothy 3 and Titus uh, right after chapter 1 there where I just read. And it begins to give the qualifications of those elders and bishops and that type of thing. And, you know, most of it is, how's your family life? What kind of character does this person have? How's his children? You know? The weight was on the things that really matter. You know, I don't really care about listening to a guy who can't stay married. Is that okay to say that? Well, this is our new pastor. He's been married six times and we love him, though. He's just a real good preacher, anointed. Well, what if you can preach, but you can't stay in relationship? What's wrong with that? Something's failing. Come on, this Bible. We just don't like it because it becomes so popular to divorce. Now it's popular not to marry. Well, he's not married, but you know, he's, he's got several girlfriends, but he's a good preacher. Boy, he could preach. Please don't. I don't care if you can preach like Gabriel. If you can't live what you preach, I'm not impressed. Not a bit. I've heard of some great preachers in my life. I've watched them come and I've watched them go. Just being real right now. And I think about the multitudes of really faithful people who got good character. Can't preach a lick. But they would have you in your house. Cook a fine meal. Say, I want you to be here. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's pray together. I'd rather be with them than the slickest mouth on TV. So take your slick packaged preaching. And sell it somewhere else. I think enough people have said, you know what? We ain't buying that no more. Mm. Glory to God. Y'all ain't mad at me out there, are you? I sure hope y'all still love me. We going at this thing. The mission of the church, man, this whole body, every single member of the body can get involved and be part of the great commission. And our mission to continue to plant. And it's happening right now, folks, all over the world. 
We may be on the hardest, toughest ground. But let me tell you something. America is going to be one of the greatest mission fields ever. You and I live in the belly of the beast. Remember, the prostitute church, the great harlot called Babylon, rides on the beast. And I believe America's that beast. Becoming more and more apparent every day. And the false prophet, the media, right behind it, making the whole world submit to the beast. It's an hour to get your business right with Jesus. Get your life right with God. Man, repent of your sins. Repent of your religion. You know, American Christian. I've been all over the world. I've been in lots of third world countries and all that. And I've seen superstitions. But let me tell you what. I ain't never seen more superstitions than Americans. We're just as superstitious as the most unlearned people on the planet. Because we are biblically ignorant. True thing. Let's own it, Americans. It's time to understand. Get back to your Bible. Get back to relationship. By this shall all the world know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. And we ain't in love if we if we keep divorcing our families and keep we can't keep a friend or we break up with every person we see. That ain't love. I love what I heard a young preacher a while back. He said, you didn't quit loving. You quit repenting. <laughs> I like it. What time is it? So I don't go over this thing. I'm sorry. I went a little bit over. Hope I didn't mess up your bedtime. God bless y'all. We'll see you back here next Wednesday, seven o'clock. God bless. Have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.